Hello and welcome to Timeless Truths, a sermon podcast from St. Mark Ministries in Greater Green Bay, Wisconsin. This week we continue our series, Spiritual Boot Camp. In episode three, let's join Pastor John Parlow as we learn the importance of application. So open up your heart, open up your Bible, and let's dig into these timeless truths. Well, welcome to St. Mark as we finish up a three-part series we've entitled It's More Than a Book, helping you and me get better acquainted with our Bible. And if you haven't been able to see the previous two, just go to our YouTube page or to our website and we'll link you over to that section. It's really something that you might want to review, even use as your own personal Bible study or a small group Bible study. The most important question you can ask about something you read, something you watched, something you discovered, something you experienced, is simple. How do I apply this? How is this going to impact my life on Monday morning? The reason application is so critical is because it's practical. So how do you apply this, the Bible, to your life? That's a particularly very good question Because there are certain passages you read in the Bible and that maybe at first they're confusing, they seem odd, they seem difficult, they seem out of place. I mean, you can read in the Bible and it's very clear you shouldn't steal. You shouldn't gossip about your neighbor. You shouldn't murder your friend. And you should strive to be kind to people and be selfless, not selfish. That's clear. But then you run across some passages and you wonder to yourself, Is this cultural? Is this just meant for those people back then? Or is this something that I apply as a Jesus follower today? For example, in the Old Testament, there's some passages about food laws, dietary laws. One of them sounds like this in Deuteronomy 11. And the pig, though it has a divided hoof, does not chew the cud, it is unclean for you. What? No bacon and eggs for you now in the morning. What does that mean? How do we apply that passage today? One key to understanding how to apply God's truth today is to remember how God organized his book and the purpose behind that organization and also use those steps of interpreting the Bible we call hermeneutics to make sure you understand what he's clearly teaching. The vast majority of passages that sometimes confuse people, at least to begin with, are recorded in the Old Testament. And there are a lot of passages in the Old Testament that can be confusing to New Testament Christians if they forget how the New Testament and Old Testament work together. The Old Testament's purpose was to be a pointer, to be an arrow pointing to the Messiah to come who was first promised in Genesis chapter 3. The Savior who would come and live and die in our place, pay for our sins, and conquer death for us. All of it was to point to him. When you read your Old Testament, you are reading a love story God's written for you because it shows you he went to great lengths to accomplish his rescue plan for you personally. And that is what's behind some of those events, commands, and passages that sometimes can be hard to understand or confusing. In the Old Testament, what God did is he promised the world that he would send the Savior, physically speaking, through a group of people, a nation that he nicknamed Israel. And so he had to keep that nation intact and safe. They couldn't go away because then the line of the Savior would go away and we would have no Savior. 
And so God gives them a number of laws and commands to keep them a distinct people, his people, through whom the Savior will come. That's why at times God would say to Israel, listen, um, I want you to go over and conquer that king. I want you to wipe out that nation. I want you to destroy those neighboring towns because they were a physical threat to God's people Israel through whom physically he's bringing the Savior, your Savior. That was the purpose behind those Interesting dietary laws in the Old Testament. You know, no shrimp scampi for you, all right? No bacon for you. Because God wanted his people even to eat differently than the nations around them. Again, distinction, his people. In addition, that gave them an opportunity to thank God through their obedience, the God who saved them, as well as keep them distinct, uniquely distinct. That was also the purpose behind their dress code, the fact that men couldn't trim their beards and they had to wear certain clothing because God even wanted you to dress differently in the morning than your neighbors and groom yourself in a different fashion as well. That is really behind why God told them when they were to worship, how they were to worship, and who they were to worship. Now those laws are often referred to as the civil and ceremonial laws of the Old Testament. And they were meant to point to the Savior, and they were, God's people were bound to that until the Savior stepped on this earth. And the moment Jesus steps on this earth, he then is the fulfillment of all of those laws, and that's why they're no longer binding to New Testament Christians like you and me. And you see Jesus, right away in his ministry, start to point that out, that those laws have been fulfilled in him and his ministry. And one of those we alluded to in our reading was the law, the Sabbath law, where God said, you worship on this day because other people worship on that day and we want to be different. And we're worshiping the true God, not pagan gods. And also, um, I want you to have rest. This is, a, this is my gift to you, my people. And it's to remind you one day I'm going to send the Sabbath rest for your soul in the Savior. Well, in the meantime, the Pharisees used the Sabbath as a way they thought they could earn God's favor and forgiveness. Of course, they polluted that, right? So Jesus shows up on the scene and he's got a point out he's the fulfillment of the Sabbath and that's why he says this in Mark 2. The Sabbath was made for man. It was a benefit for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man, that's Jesus, is Lord even of the Sabbath. As the creator, Jesus was the original Lord of the Sabbath, the Sabbath rest. He not only had the authority to go ahead and supersede the the Pharisees' man-made Sabbath traditions, but also to tell us clearly that he was the fulfillment of it. What he was trying to tell them is the Sabbath rest was standing in front of them in the flesh. Jesus' death and resurrection brought about that true Sabbath rest that the one in the Old Testament pointed to. The Sabbath rest was named Jesus. And when he died on the cross, It took away this notion that you're going to go ahead and you need to go ahead and earn forgiveness or favor with God. You don't do that. You can't do that. Rather, God gives you that and his mercy and grace through the free gift of faith. So, does that mean when Jesus arrives on the scene, does that mean we can just go ahead and and throw out the uh, Old Testament? We have the New Testament now, so Jesus is here. We'll just throw out the Old Testament. We'll set it aside. Is that what that means? Because people will ask you that. No, it still stands. You just have to make sure you understand it and apply it in light of its fulfillment in the New Testament and in Jesus. 
A second key to understanding how to properly apply God's truth to my life and to your life lies in the truth that as you're reading God's word, look for and discover the timeless moral principle God is communicating to his people and also the cultural application of that principle. God's timeless moral principle never changes. What he calls truth is always truth. What he calls sin is always sin. But the cultural, the cultural application may change. Let me make this practical for you and us, okay? Paul is writing to a young pastor named Timothy in Ephesus in the first century. And he's talking about how Christians should worship in the first century in Ephesus. And he has some application here, just for Ephesus. Here's what he says. Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray. Okay, men pray, not just the women, men pray. Lifting up holy hands, really talks more about their heart, without anger and dispute. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls and expensive apparel, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. Well, how do you apply that passage today? I mean, some of you got braided hair, so I guess you're a fail this morning. Well, unfortunately, there are many people who travel down the path to interpret this passage, and they fall into a ditch on either side. One ditch they might fall into is they take this passage in a very wooden way, very legalistically, very literalistically, really out of its context, and they say, women today should never braid their hair and then come to church. Others will say, this is just all cultural. It's just for the people back then. You don't have to worry about it today. It's just for the people back then. In fact, there's nothing in this passage for us today, and they just throw it aside. They say it doesn't count at all. Both parties are wrong. The way to understand and apply this passage is to discover what the timeless moral principle is that Jesus is teaching here in his word, and then that cultural application there, you disregard. Now, clearly, the timeless moral principle God is teaching at this point is when you come to worship as ladies and men, you want to dress modestly. And the principle back then was that meant that back in that culture, that church, the women weren't to wear braided hair, gold, jewelry, and fancy clothes. Now, why is that? Here's why. Paul is writing in the first century to a young pastor named Timothy who's pastoring a church in Ephesus, a big city. And in that city, Ephesus was known for having what you're seeing right now, the Temple of Diana, a fertility cult. And you'd worship Diana by having sex with temple prostitutes. And the temple prostitutes would go ahead and they would dress in such a way so that you'd make sure you knew they were temple prostitutes. And you know what they wore? Braided hair, gold, jewelry, and fancy clothes. And so Paul says to the Christian women in the first century, listen, when you come to worship, don't come dressed like that because you will water down the witness of the Christian church being different in morals and truth than the pagan temple down the street. Also, if the women dressed that provocatively for worship, it was likely to be a distraction, especially for the men. So what's the timeless principle for us today? When you, ladies, when you come to worship, make sure you don't come dressed provocatively. Don't wear something that's going to draw people's attention away from God and his word and to you. See, that's not that hard to apply. 
I think people make that a much bigger deal than it really is. So where does that leave us in our study? We've talked a lot about reading your Bible, interpreting your Bible, and now applying your Bible. Unfortunately, many will still say, well, I don't read the Bible, John, because it's just so hard to read. And we've discovered in the series, it's not hard to read at all. You need to open it. And we've talked about people who will say, well, I, I can't interpret the Bible. I don't know what it means. And we've already noted in the study that 99.9% .9 of your Bible is very easy to interpret. But then others will say, well, the Bible is so hard for me to, uh, to apply to my life. And when they say that, they're correct. It is. Do you know why? Because you and I need to die to self. That's what Jesus said. That means we need to be more concerned about what he and his words say about our lives and our choices rather than what we think about all that stuff. And we don't like to do that. The reason we don't like to do that is because we're all born little gods and goddesses. That's why we'll say when we're youngsters, when we're teenagers, when we're adults, hey, don't push your religion on me. Don't try to push your truth on me. I'm just going to live my life any way I want. And you'll ride the train to hell if you live like that. And what you do here on earth, even in pews and chairs, is sometimes you'll be tempted to play games. I call Bible games. Let's take a look at the top three that maybe some of you are tempted or are playing right now. The first one is called the cosmic exception rule. People understand how a certain passage is to apply to their lives, but they don't like it. So when they read it, they think to themselves, well, in my case, in my circumstance, oh, it doesn't apply. I'm special. I'm unique. So I can ignore this passage of Scripture. That's a first commandment violation. You're claiming yourself to be God. You're actually claiming your word, your wants, your truth trumps God's. And that kind of attitude will separate you from God relationally right now. And if you keep it up, will separate you from God eternally. And you'll end up being the captain of your ship in hell. That's why the Apostle John wrote these words in 1 John 2. If someone claims, I know God but doesn't obey God's commandments, not, this idea, not even trying. That person is not a mistaker, a liar, and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Another game people sometimes play when it comes to the Bible is what I like to call the Wisconsin Supper Club approach to the Bible. You know, you get your plate and you hustle over to that glorious salad bar. And it's filled with all those great things like pickled gizzards. Those are good things. That's good gut health for you right there. Uh, pickled cold beets. We love those, don't we? S spreadable cheeses, an assortment of that. Liver pate. And then there are things in the salad bar you should never eat. Kale comes to mind. <laughs> and what do you do? What do you do with your plate? You go ahead and you pile your plate up with all the stuff you like, right? And the stuff you don't like, you leave behind. Now apply this. 
Oh, you take your plate that is your life and you pile it high with all of the things you like, like what, what you're comfortable with, what you agree with when God talks about marriage and, and parenting, but you leave off the plate. All of the things that God says that make you uncomfortable would really change your choices in life that he talks about sex and money. What you're doing again is you're setting yourself up as God. You think you're in charge. You're actually taking the almighty God of the world, putting him in your back pocket, and only taking him out when it's comfortable for you and your life choices. But when it's not comfortable, you know what you do? Oh, you take that God and you put him in your back pocket so you don't see him or hear him. You and I are not the editor of the Bible. We can't pick and choose. Notice what Jesus says in his book at the very end. The last book he had written, the last words, he speaks to us. This is what he says. This is Jesus. And I solemnly declare to everyone who hears the words of prophecy, the preaching, written in this book, if anyone adds anything to what is written here, God will add to that person the plagues described in this book. So much for the hippie Jesus so many people believe in today. And if anyone removes any of the words from this book of prophecy, God will remove that person's share in the tree of life and the holy city that are described in this book. So much for the woke Jesus. But there is one more game people a lot of times like to play with the Bible, and I think it's the darkest of all. And it's called the woke walk. And it's when a person will live their life like this, or at least say, even say this to you. Listen, I can live by my truth, and you must too. What happens is this person reads a portion of God's word and wants to clearly water it down because that person doesn't agree with it. And because the person doesn't like it and doesn't agree with it, they simply say, it doesn't say what it really does say. Or they say, well, I know it says that, but obviously God is wrong here. And they take great pride in pointing out that they know better than God. In fact, some people even get a whole month to be prideful over the fact that they live the opposite of what God says. Or it also sounds like this. We don't want to give money to the Lord's work. We don't want to make worship a priority on a weekend. We don't want to move out. We don't want to stop sleeping around. We don't want to try to repair that relationship. The Bible confronts all of us at the most uncomfortable, deepest, life-altering levels imaginable to man. And what happens when that happens is that either transforms you or that, that frightens you. You either welcome that in your life or it threatens you. That's why it says in Hebrews chapter four, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest double-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one to whom we are accountable. 
So the real question you may have had about how do I apply the Bible to my life in the beginning of this series, or maybe just the beginning of this message, isn't the same one you have now. See, it's not really a question of how you apply God's truth. It's are you up for it. I think the key is your, your viewpoint. Do you view this book as not just a book, but the book? Divine. It's God's book where he's telling you how much Jesus loves you, how he died on the cross for all of your sins, how he has conquered sin, death, and Satan for you, or do you look at this book and you, you treat it in a defensive manner with a rebellious spirit, fighting against it with every fiber of your life, looking for excuses all the time why you shouldn't read it, interpret it, and follow it? That's a really good question. And there's only one answer that will give you life. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Timeless Truths. Whether you're a first-time listener or a long-time listener, we're glad you could join us. For more information or to support the work of St. Mark Ministries, check out our website at stmarkministries.com. Be sure to tune in next week as we kick off a brand new series, Thriving in a Time of Crisis. And remember, you matter and you are loved.